Hey everybody, welcome back to Multiclassing. Uh, today, I have with me the one and only, the amazing, Brett Ryan Stewart. How you doing, Brett? Hey man, thanks for the introduction. I think you might have the wrong guy, but this is in fact Brett. Oh, dang, wrong guy. Hang on. I, I, all right, I'll be back in a minute. No, just... Yeah, go get the right guy. <laughs> uh, but uh, if anyone anyone out there has been listening to our podcast before when I was talking to uh, my friend Torsten and stuff about musical backgrounds, we mentioned Brett and uh, his recording studio before. Uh, so, Brett, uh, you run a recording studio called uh, Wirebird Productions. Yep. Uh, I believe it originally had a different name the first time I was told about it. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Uh, yeah, we, we had uh, operated under the name The Sound Shelter, and that's where um, we were for about seven years. And then I just branched off on my own and built a new place. Um, so technically the studio, the facility is called Wire Barn, and my company is called Wire Bird Productions. Ah, I saw where you had built a new studio on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've been... We, uh, my wife and I moved across town and we built the studio in in the process so it all kind of happened happened uh, uh, very quickly over the summer last year as um, the the studio that called the sound shelter had to be quickly shut down because of some new silly laws that are happening here in Nashville with um, recording studios being in um, residential areas. Yeah, I, uh, I was reading some about that, and that was some weird stuff, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, of all I'm, I'm glad you guys managed to get uh, the wire barn up and going. Uh, the pictures of it I've seen look really nice. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was, like I said, it was a quick turnaround. The place was already kind of outfitted for what I do, and I just had to essentially ins- install move and install all of the recording equipment and then do some acoustic treatment to get it going it's um it's a s- smaller building than the sound shelter um, by a pretty good amount of square footage but i found that i really didn't need that much square footage it's always nice to have um but you can do a lot with a little and I can still do everything I need. I can record drums. I do full bands, and it's a little bit more intimate, which is kind of cool because the band is closer together and they're not divided up by windows and walls, which really does make a difference when you're, yeah, you know, in the nitty gritty of it. Yeah, and I, I will say, like when we were up there recording, uh, you know, at your old space, just with you in general, that's probably the most professional recording experience I've had. So good, good man. It was great having you. Uh, so all that being said, uh, you've been uh, doing this for a while, and uh, I've met you obviously uh, through recording uh, with uh, the band The Sunsets. But uh, give me a little bit of uh, your background as to how you came to be a musician and a music producer and such. I'll give you the short version, the shorter version. Um, the first time I stepped into a studio myself I was about 16 and I had a little band in high school and um, it was uh, in Pennsylvania 
um, right outside of Philadelphia. And I got the bug working in that studio. I knew I was, you know, at that point I'd been playing guitar and writing songs for a few years. Hadn't been into a studio. Um, so that experience was where it all started. And I, I got really excited about the process. I probably bugged the engineers here ad nauseum because I had so many questions about the process um, and the gear and what goes into it. Uh, and I very quickly after that started saving up my money to buy some equipment. Um, so for a period of time, I had a recording studio up there in the Philadelphia area in Delaware where I grew up. And that's kind of where I cut my teeth. I bought, um, you know, I, I, I was lucky to have got into this industry right as things were changing, um, where home recording equipment was becoming more affordable and um, more compact. So you didn't have to build out a whole building to, and you know, and then go into massive debt just to, to break into it. So I started with really, um, minimalist setup just enough to to learn the ropes and learn the process of recording and then um spent a couple of years at that studio in delaware um before moving to nashville when i moved to nashville i brought all my equipment with me but i spent the first few years here really focusing on refocusing my my craft as a songwriter and, and a singer and an artist so um, the equipment sat in storage for that time, and then I eventually busted it back out to start recording some of my own stuff again. But it wasn't until uh, 2013 when I really got back into the the recording game seriously again. Um, now, in in the interim of all these of all this time that's passed that I'm talking about, I'd, I'd been into a number of other studios, uh, working yeah. kind of either as a freelance engineer or um, or recording my own music. Uh, but in 2013, we built the sound shelter and I went into that endeavor with a couple, um, partners, uh, that one of whom is one of, still one of my partners, his name's Chris Tench. And I don't know if you guys met, but Chris uh, and I have been writing. Yeah. I don't think together. I've met him. Uh, I know when I was talking to, uh, the guys from Neptune, the mystic, uh, they told me about him. Right, he produced them, and um, and he, hell of a songwriter and guitarist and producer, and, and he he and I started working together in 2010 as a kind of as a writing team where we were writing uh, considerable amounts of music that I've actually, on a side note, I've just in this quarantine I've started to unearth some of those recordings of songs that I just kind of stowed away after I, once I put my producer hat on and kind of put my, my own artist life. Yeah, I was old. I was actually going to ask you about some of those. Cause I was, uh, earlier when I had first asked you if you wanted to, uh, do this episode today, I was going through your, uh, discography on Bandcamp and I found oh, cool. some recordings you released that said, Hey, I unearthed this, uh, and, uh, here it is on Bandcamp. And, yeah. uh, I gotta say, I really do enjoy it. Uh, it's got a nice kind of folksy vibe to it. Thanks, man. Yeah, I think I kind of run the gamut. I the interesting part about working 
primarily as a producer is that you really garner a lot of influence along the way from you know working with all these different uh, genres of music um, so that when it comes time to create something of my own I've got all of these influences uh, that I may have not had otherwise I probably wouldn't have and not just musical influences but um, you know methods of working because all these bands are coming through and artists and they've maybe had their own experiences in the past working um, in the studio so they're bringing new energy and new ideas and new ways of workflow into the yeah process so by the time I'm sitting down to work on my own stuff I've got all of that to pull from which is really cool and which is also probably why when you go through that Bandcamp page you're gonna hear a, a kind of a gamut of different styles um, yeah, uh, I noticed you tend to genre hop uh, yeah. a little bit, and uh, that I honestly appreciate because uh, I, I tend to like to do that myself when I write music. It's just I'm going to write different genres today, uh, and to see someone as talented as you be able to pull it off just so well, it lets me know that maybe I could get better at doing that myself. <laughs> well, you absolutely can, man. I mean, it's you know I've been at this a bit. Uh, you know quite a bit longer than you so keep at it because it's fun and the industry you know if you live here in Nashville long enough you'll you know you hear a lot of the uh, mechanisms of the industry that'll tell you that genre hopping is not the way to do it that you got to have a brand and you got to stay on brand and you know what that's probably the case for a lot of artists and it works really well but I I get bored um, and i and I don't want to be uh, kind of pigeonholed into doing one thing, um, whether that comes at the expense of, you know, losing or having a hard time garnering fans because they, they never know what you're going to come up with next. I mean, I guess that's a cost worth taking because I kind of well, like but some I, of my favorite artists are doing that. They're always moving around and every album it's something a little different. And they yeah, lose me sometimes say, along the way. Yeah. I was going to say, in my opinion, uh, if you, you know, put a lot of that effort and stuff into your music and you produce something that's genuinely just good music, whoever's listening to it will just appreciate the artistry behind it, regardless of the genre. Like Exactly. Even if it's not your favorite kind of genre, if the music is good, the music is good. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I moved down here uh, roughly 2010, down here to Nashville, and um, had almost no... Uh, breadth of musical knowledge as far as like country music was concerned I had very limited I mean Johnny Cash is pretty much all I knew yeah um, and there was it was a kind of a an internal struggle for the first few years trying to figure out how I fit into this down here because there's this big country music scene and I you know I feel like this outlier but I've come to find out that there's quite a diverse scene here and actually we, it's pulled more away from country but all that to say my appreciation of country has grown as a result not all of it I, I honestly I hate most of it but uh, there's a large uh, body of stuff that I never would have discovered from some more obscure country acts to just re obscure recordings from well-known yeah, country I've, acts yeah, I can definitely agree with that because like you know I, I've grown up 
in the South, and I've never liked country music. Um, but as I've gotten older and met country musicians who are good musicians and good people, I've grown more of a respect for it, and actually have gotten where I don't mind listening to a lot of it. Yeah, well, Still, like you said, like you said, good is good. Yeah. You know, yeah it, Hey, if it's country music that's good, I'll still listen to it even if it's not my preferred genre. But I do understand that whole uh, outlier feeling because, like, you know, I, I like to write a, a lot of, uh, I guess it classifies as emo rock, you know. And uh, in Alabama, that's not really a big thing. And see, yeah. uh, it's a little bit more of a thing, uh, but only by so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, what so. Is, what, what is the thing down there? Like, what's the scene? Uh, it kind of, for all the years that, uh, I guess for the past six years, I've been in and out of it with different bands. Uh, it's kind of changed uh, because, you know, you have like, uh, when I was in the band Ink Mind a few years ago, we did a lot of grunge rock and there were a lot of bands who did that kind of 90s style. And, uh, you know, then you have bands like the Sunsets who do kind of like that 80s synth vibe. Uh, and then around Huntsville, you also have a lot of metalcore bands, and I've never quite understood that. There's some yeah. genuinely good ones, and then if you get close to Montgomery, there's a lot of punk bands. And uh, in our area right now, there seems to be a mix of uh, people doing essentially southern rock and uh, clo- and then stuff close to what I do, which I guess could be best described as alternative rock. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's, it's kind of wild to, to to see how little pockets kind of grow on their own around the around yeah, the world, you know. Because every city's different. Like you, you tend to look at, especially you know, uh, parts of the country, and be like, "Well, that's the South, so that's going to be country music." You know, this is California. You're going to have you know stoner and beach rock. And things like that. And when you get out there and you talk to some of the other musicians that you meet out there, you realize, oh, that's not the case. And it's it's really interesting to see that uh, things in general tend to be more diverse uh, than we really give it credit for. Yeah, and I think, you know, we have, uh, especially in the modern age, we have the Internet to thank for that. I mean, you know, now I am not a uh, Spotify champion and I, I i think the technology has definitely um taken a toll on uh, the livelihoods of my fellow musicians and i yeah i definitely um, agree with you there i'm not a fan of spotify myself yeah which is which is ultimately why i've been just focusing on Bandcamp because i love their model and i love what they stand for and they they pay the artists fairly for the, each transaction, and it just feels like a digital uh, version of a record store when you walk in, which I don't get that from any other platform. Yeah, so legitimately feels like a store. I yeah. agree with you. That. Yeah, it's cool. It's like walking around to, the, to a listening station in, that they used to have set up in record stores. You know, it just that's what it feels yeah. like. I, I don't know how they did it. Part magic, part HTML, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I love what they stand for now. To Spotify's merit, I'll say that like it's largely because of them and because of terrestrial radio over the last 40 years, you've got access to, you know, people all over the country, if we're just going to use America as a microcosm, people all over the country are having access to 
styles of music and bands and stuff that they wouldn't have heard of otherwise. And Spotify's only uh, exacerbated that. And I think in a good way, you know, where like somebody in, in um, you know, Paducah is hearing bands out of Maine or New York, you know, it's like whatever's, yeah. ha- whatever's happening in those little scenes is kind of making its way everywhere which is really cool and it's always cool to even more so is to to see what of the because that the access is there across the board but it's it's always curious to see which of those sticks you know to, yeah you know, it, and i and always, i don't know what the what the what the science of that would even be it's just like something works in a certain area for some unknown reason yeah, it's always cool to uh, kind of look back. That's the one thing I do like about Spotify is, uh, you know, you upload your music and you're looking at all the uh, areas it goes to. And you see that, you know, uh, hey, I'm getting listens in, uh, like, Australia for some weird reason more so than I am here at home. It's weird. And you wonder why. I mean, it's interesting. Man, I think like, a lot about that. I, I know... You know, most of my troubadour friends that are out on the road most of the year, especially the ones that are in the the folk scene or the um, Americana scene or alt country scene, are doing better in Europe than they do over here. And and they also there's more money to be made. Strangely, you know, you consider all the expense of going over to Europe, and they still make more money than they do driving state to state. Yeah, I I would I would actually. Th- kind of think that would be a thing because uh, I've realized we actually get better streams over in Europe and I've never really known why but for some odd reason people spend more time listening to music over there than they do over here I don't know what, I, I don't know what it is man and I don't I, you know I think there's part of it uh, I'm certainly I don't think I'm the one and only person to, to hold this theory but I kind of think it's it's the um, principle of exotic you know that something that seems distant because it maybe is geographically distant has, yeah. has a more exotic appeal it's the same reason that the Beatles broke in America you know it's because yeah. wow well, look at these this is something completely unique but over, yeah, and- over in Liverpool not to certainly not to take anything away from the Beatles but Liverpool uh ha- they, they, they're not quite the outliers that they are when they come over to play at the Ed Sullivan Theater. Yeah, because I mean, um, the whole concept of you know getting into music history and stuff is like the British invasion, where yeah. a lot of you know British bands could do better in America because to us it was like, well, this is a sound we didn't have over here, and they brought it. Whereas over there, it had already been a thing. Yep. And that also gets in the concept of you know you can have a one-hit wonder in America that in um, you know the UK does exceedingly well and has multiple hits, but over here we only heard one song. Right. So, um, so all that being said, uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about your new single. Okay. Uh, so uh, it's called "Let Her Know." Uh, I listened to it on my way home from work. I really liked it. Uh, so t- tell me a little bit about the uh, story behind the song. Well. It, uh, as you know, I, it was released on Mother's Day, so I'm not sure when this podcast is going to air, but that would have been just about a week ago. Um, Hopefully, I'll have it up uh, in a day or two. <laughs> okay, so a week still stands. Yeah. Um, 
but the song is actually about seven years old and um, was recorded well it was recorded in 2013 um, not at my studio not at the sound shelter I'm still building the sound shelter while I was recording this this is one of the things about me but also I think anybody in this line of work is you're always wearing a lot of hats so I was yeah, building, finished building the studio where I was going to play engineer and producer. Meanwhile, booking out somebody else's studio so I can play the artist and the songwriter. And um, and I think I had a day job at that point too because uh, you know got to eat and have health insurance. So um, yeah, that's always the nice thing to have. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that all changed uh, shortly after that when I had access to to healthcare without it, which is ultimately why I was able to build the studio and and dive in head first to that but that's a whole other topic but the um so the song was originally recorded with a batch of other songs that were all kind of as close to country as i'll ever get um and it's because i was working with some people here on music row which is um kind of the epicenter of uh, nashville's historical district and also Nashville's history just in general that's where all of the um it's just one part of town right kind of in the center where all, yeah. of the, all of the old publishing buildings and the old recording studios reside and so there's still like a lot of buzz happening there and I was working with um some really great producers and co-writers in that area um so there yeah, was a I noticed um this one in particular more so you have a lot of people credited on uh, this particular song more than you do a lot of your other ones. Yeah, and um, and it was for that reason. I love it when when I can have that many people involved. I mean, at, cer- at a certain point, there's you know you can always overdo everything, but this was this seemed like the perfect storm. And um, the original recording happened with I think four four musicians. Um, we had drums, bass. Uh, electric guitar I played acoustic guitar and then I did vocals and it, um, it was done like I was saying it was done with a batch of other songs which were all duet focused um, I was trying out a, a duet with a girl named Micah Combs and we got a couple really good songs out of that that are actually on band camp I think. yeah I, uh, I was listening to one earlier I believe it was uh, Wrecking Ball Right. Yeah. So that that's actually a cover uh, that came out of that same period. But it was that's an Emmy. Well, it's a Neil Young song called "Wrecking Ball" that Emmy Lou Harris made famous, and then we covered that. Um, but yeah, that that's Micah, uh, and she and I had had been collaborating on these other batch of songs. Now, uh, Lean, uh, let her know, which is the Mother's Day song that we're talking about, was kind of the extra song that happened during those sessions it wasn't quite finished when we went into the studio but we wanted to record it because we felt good about it when i say we i mean um the 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 guy that produced and wrote that one with me his name's greg beak and yeah he uh he's just tremendous uh done a lot of great work with uh, hall and oats and actually um I'm a, I, I, I think I have this correct, but programmed the beat for Ricky Martin's song, uh, Viva 
what was that song? Viva La... Uh, Viva La... Viva La... Yeah, that one. <laughs> um, and that was the first thing I ever heard about Greg. And, I, and they, they said, you should write with this guy. And they told me he did that. And I'm like, all right. I mean, that's really cool that he did that. I don't know how in any way that's going to play into us working together. But that's awesome. And then <laughs> I met Greg. And, of course, he's like got this really wide palette of um, talent and uh, and credits, too. I mean, he's been working with Hall & Oates yeah. for 20 years or so. But he's got this great studio. We went in there. We did all, did all the tracking for that song. And uh, as well as the others, and then I, the others were kind of finished. Let her know stayed in my hard drive for about seven years, and it was always kind of haunting me because I I knew I really loved it. There was something in there, but it wasn't nearly finished. So really, the whole song stayed in, in that stage of progress, kind of stagnant. It was in like suspended animation. Uh, up until two weeks before Mother's Day, so that's almost seven years. And being in quarantine, like I said, has given me this great opportunity to really unearth some stuff. And that seemed like the perfect song, not just because Mother's Day was coming up, that kind of gave me the impetus to finish it quickly, but because of the broader message of the song, which is really, although it, I, it's very pointedly stating like, hug your mother, uh, let her know that you always love her. That's the those are the lyrics to the chorus. Um, yeah, I like to think of it as as a song beyond just you know the traditional version of a mother, but really as mother could be anybody that plays a vital role in your existence, and just basically showing gratitude for those people. And I think of all times now is the time to do that. Yeah, and I, I, I really like that, that there's uh, always that kind of, especially when I'm listening to a lot of the music you have on here, you always seem to have this kind of layer of deeper thought. Like, you, you say what you mean, but there's also this layer of sincerity and emotion that goes into it that makes you kind of look at it, you know, with a more, what's the word I'm looking for? Heartfelt? No, that's right. Uh, it just... You can definitely tell there's more to it than just what's on the surface, and it makes you want to listen to it multiple times. And uh, I actually, uh, when I was listening to this, I uh, had sent it to my wife while I was at work. I said, "Hey, uh, do me a favor, listen to this song, and tell me what you think about it. That way, I can have uh, more stuff to talk about with Brett later." And uh, so, me and her were talking about it, and she was telling me is like what she was impressed by is that it. It does have the Mother's Day vibe, but it also it touches so much on that whole. It's kind of country, kind of, uh, but it just makes it so nice that it just kind of gets to you and makes you feel kind of warm and you know, like you do want to go and give your mom a hug. That's great to hear, man. And actually, you know, I previewed this song to a lot of friends, uh, trusted friends, prior to putting it up on Bandcamp and. So many of them said the same thing. They they said, man, I, I listened to the song and I immediately called my mother. And to me, that was all of the reward I needed. I mean, it was just, I mean, that's ultimately at the end of the day, I think why I, I wrote that. And I think why any of us write anything is to hopefully unify. Um, yeah, I, not you're right. It's definitely a big thing as a songwriter. You're trying to like, 
convey a lot of the emotions and feelings that you have when you're writing said thing. And when you can definitely have someone say, "Hey, that thing that you were writing about, I really understood it." It's just that moment of yeah. right, yeah. Because so often, I mean, self doubt is is um, <laughs> just as prominent of an ingredient in the creative process as the um, inspiration itself. I mean, with every great idea comes a thousand naysaying internal monologues you know and i think yeah. everybody everybody experiences that as they're going through the process there's uh, there's a funny meme that's gone around for years about the creative process and it's something like um it says like the creative process uh this is this is amazing this is the best okay this is kind of okay this is the worst i suck this is the best <laughs> and it goes like that i mean that's how it that's how you you experience um each step of the process it's like it's so much of it depends on your mood on that day too but it's also you know you hear stuff if for songwriters particularly if you hear stuff enough times you start to doubt it because it loses its initial appeal but what you have to always consider is that you're hearing it for the 10,000th time but somebody else is hearing it for the first time and most likely unless you are an absolute sociopath whatever it is that you felt that first few times somebody else if not a lot of other people are going to feel it that same thing because we're all connected in, in in a much bigger way than we're aware of and i think nothing makes that more clear than than listening to music so ultimately, at the end of the day, that's yeah, why I, that's why I do it, uh, and I hope that that anybody picks up a guitar for the first time for that reason. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with a lot of that because I know uh, after I recorded up there at uh, you know your studio with you, uh, that made me definitely want to you know start working to be or harder to be a uh, better guitarist than I was because I just kind of got picked up from being a bassist to be hey come be our guitarist. Yeah. And uh, having work with you is like, man, I have, I definitely have a lot more I need to work on. And it's inspiring that, um, you know, I, I've, it, it, since I met you, I've actually really grown to look up to a lot of what you do. And it's nice to see that you go through a lot of that same stuff that uh, me and a lot of other musicians who haven't quite got to that point do. And um, I really appreciate that. Uh, so I, all that being I said. I appreciate you telling me that, man. Yeah, uh, and so all that being said, uh, I wanted to talk about one other thing with you before we uh, round out today. Uh, so as everyone who's been listening to all this know, we've all been stuck in quarantine for a while. Uh, so what's the business like uh, while you're stuck in quarantine? Uh, it Just like the rest of the workforce has come to a pretty screeching halt because so much of what I do is one-on-one or you know in a room with a bunch of other people um and to to their credit and our our music community's credit at large most of us have been pretty assertive about taking it seriously from the beginning um which definitely i mean it had its blowback and we were i was right in the middle of three different records that were 
nearing completion when this all started. Uh, this, of course, in the big picture, is the least of the world's problems. Is me finishing these records. Yeah. <laughs> but um, some of those projects were close enough to completion that I was able to finish them on my own. And then some of them are just kind of put on pause indefinitely. And we're trying to figure out ways to um, finish things remotely. I'm I'm gonna. This is another luxury of the modern age is is the technology that's allowed us to collaborate online and there's there's a, a bunch of evolving technology that's springing up very quickly um, that's allowing people to really work together in depth um, over the wires, which is super cool. It's very challenging, um, which I think is great actually. I think it's a cool new. Uh, dynamic to add to the process of recording because every time you're presented with a new way to work it it just automatically sparks new inspiration and that's kind of a nice it's like picking up a different instrument for the first time you use that's completely foreign to you so I'm excited to see where that leads um, and I've been talking to some friends as to how to set up to prepare for that since we don't know when this is going to end. Um, but to answer your question, uh, yeah, everything has basically come to a halt, which the, the silver lining for me personally has been, has been that I'm able to, you know, dive into my own music again, uh, which has been something that I've been wanting to do for a while, but projects kept coming up and I'm not complaining about, but it just kept pushing my, this little imaginary window of time that I was going to put aside to, to write and finish some of my own recordings. It's um, yeah, because I, I know months ago when we were up there, uh, that was something you were talking to us about. Is you were having to purposely set time aside just to do your own music because you were so bogged down with running the business and doing everyone else's. Music. Yeah, and that's a and, you know it's just like it, and even when I did have the time those were that was usually my time off and the last thing i would want to do would be sit and yeah, you've already been doing that the whole time you need right. a break from yeah it. it's like a mechanic you know a, a car mechanic that has got he's got like three cars piled up in his own driveway that need attention you know it's just your days off you want to have a day off and do the rest of what life involves so this has been nice in in that regard and in a way i'm kind of wondering how I'm going to transition back into working um, although I'm pretty excited about it when it does happen yeah I've I've been mostly uh, since I have a uh, federal job I've been at work the whole time so I've been trying to just write music on the side yeah. uh, it's been it's been quite the experience but I do know uh, like the fact that we had to like for example cancel pretty much our attempt at a mini tour that we were doing uh, we've taken the time and just wrote a bunch of new material and the downside is is yeah you you can't go and do a lot you can't you know get out and see a lot of people but it does give you the chance to focus in on your stuff and you know come out with you know in general better music absolutely man and yeah i think torsten had mentioned something about that and that's a great way to use the time you know i mean yeah there's um sunset supplies there is some great new songs that we've finished that I think uh, when we get around to recording them you'll really like them. Good man, that's great. Um, 
but it, I'm glad to hear that uh, despite the quarantine, you're still doing well. Uh, still playing the Nintendo games and asking if you can find a good one for Switch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? It's funny you mentioned that. I um, I dug out my old Nintendo Wii and because I realized, uh, well, I, don't know, I guess it was 2012, that the Zelda Skyward Sword came out and I yeah. only, I never I never finished it. In fact, I never even got that far, and I still had it. So I, I busted that out, and I've been been playing that. And I'm, I think I'm getting close to the end, which is making me nervous. Because then what? Um, but that's kind of uh, that's when you uh, that's when you move over to uh, the other four Zelda games that came out between. Them. Well, I think I finished all those. That's that's why I went back to this one. I've, I've played them all. I played Breath of the Wild and. Um, uh, the one that they just remade, uh, Link's Awakening. Uh, yeah, that that was fun. Uh, did you ever play the uh, Twilight Princess remaster? No, but I don't have a Wii U. Wasn't that the Wii U? Uh, it, it is on the Wii U. The original one's on the Wii or GameCube. Oh, well then, you just made my day, because I know what's coming up after Skyward Sword then. Yeah. It, for me personally, that is my favorite one. Okay. Um... So if you haven't played it, I would recommend playing it. Yeah, because it. that I did play that one, but I didn't play the remaster, and I think that was the one that came out right as GameCube was becoming Wii, right? Yeah. Because uh, they released them on both systems. They released it on both systems. I personally prefer the GameCube because I just don't like the motion controls. Yeah. Uh, the Wii U version is really nice because uh, I remember when it came out, it had a Wolf Amiibo that... I found out later when you played Breath of the Wild, you could actually have Wolf Link as your companion in Breath of the Wild. Oh yeah, I remember hearing so, about that. Yeah, so that that was always fun. Um, but uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Dude, pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. I like that we closed off with Zelda, man, because I, you know, I always like to right at the end of my episodes just throw in like one random thing that has nothing to do with anything else we've talked about. Yeah, well, and it's great too because you just gave me hope for my my next bat. You know, uh, Breath of the Wild. I never finished. I I got to Ganon and I didn't beat him because I didn't want the game to end. That's how attached. Oh, I get. Uh, if 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 you. If you do uh, beat it, you can actually go back in what's called master mode, and it shuffles up to make the enemies more difficult and give you different puzzles. Oh, well, that's good to know. Oh. Yeah, uh, and there's also the hundred trials. That's pretty fun if you haven't done that yet. That's uh, the hundred trials, like the um, the yeah the the trials that you the temples that you go into. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah there, there's uh, there's like it's like a there's a fighting one where you're fighting through different levels and solving puzzles with the master sword and like once every 25 levels you get a chance to stop and heal but it's a continuation to see how long you can last ah. and if you beat it uh you get like some pretty good stuff and there's like a zelda motorcycle and stuff you can ride it's great well that just changes everything i don't, I don't think i'm going to get any more music written now but <laughs> at least i'll be entertained well, dang, i just i just yeah yeah, you just throw a monkey wrench in my process. It's okay. I'm a horrible person. Dang it. Uh, but anyways, yeah, thank you for coming on. And uh, I, I'm glad you found out some more about Zelda at the end there. Yeah. Um, so uh, 
to anyone who's listening who uh, uh, wanted to find more of your music and anything else on the internet, where could they do that? Just uh, the best place is brettryanstewart.com, so my full name, and then um, that'll take you to the Bandcamp, and I've just put everything, I'm putting everything on Bandcamp, so if it's not there, it's nowhere. <laughs> All right. And uh, hey, once again, this has been multi-classing. Our guest today was uh, Brett Ryan Stewart. Uh, thank you for coming on, and that's it for today. Bye bye, everybody. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. Uh, I'll get this episode edited and I should hopefully have it up in a day or two. So I'll send you a link once I get it up. Yeah, sounds great, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. And hopefully I can have you back at some point. Have me back. Have my cat. Yeah, I'm surprised my cat didn't scream. Usually every time I go to record this, he just starts freaking out. Did you, at one point, mine was. I don't know if you heard him. I don't know if it came through or not, but. I could hear a little bit of it, but I honestly thought it was mine, so I was just trying to be quiet about it, hoping he'd go away. <laughs> what kind of cat is it you got? But uh, yeah, uh, I have a, uh, I have a, just a, uh, I have two. I have a solid black cat uh, named Wednesday, and then I have a large, fat, fluffy ragdoll cat named Friday. <laughs> so just, I get to Wednesday for the Adams family, but Friday is just, uh, just because you went with the. Okay, so. So, so my wife showed up just randomly with this big orange cat and just, he was a kitten at the time, but he was still way bigger than the other cat. And we didn't, he was a boy. Oh yeah. We thought he was a little, he was a girl cat at first. And he's like, what are we going to name it? I just called him Friday. (laughs) He's like, why Friday? I don't know. It goes with Wednesday. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but just once you, once you have one cat you kind of have to start a theme so and now she's like what are we gonna do get cats for every day of the week and i said no we don't yeah, need that'd be great cats. seven cats running around i've had six at one time i was that guy i think the most i've ever had at one time was three and that was a bit much for that's me. a lot of shit to clean up yeah, the the they already have that problem now from the two, and I'm I'm that just annoys me enough to go. Yeah, yeah no. I'm good on pets. Find me an animal that doesn't <laughs> shit in the talk. That's why I miss my fish. <laughs> yeah, they're much more low maintenance. <laughs> All right, uh, but thanks for coming on, no, man. I'll talk to you later. later. La 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 la